Welcome to Beliefs of the Heart Weekly Reflection. I'm Sam Williamson, and today we're discussing when salvation isn't enough. Years ago, I worked with a man whose native language was self-deceit-ish. He once boasted how he stunned a client silent with his brilliant analysis, his words. But the client told me they were dumbfounded at my co-worker's astonishing incomprehension of their concerns. Worse than ships passing in the night, they were sailing a storm in the Atlantic while my co-worker's counsel offered surfing tips for the waves off Maui. He habitually embellished the value of his contribution at work, church, and with his family. He was also a sympathetic person, caring for anyone in emotional pain, and he spoke of the cross to everyone he met. However, a decade ago or so, he adopted the belief that, quote, everyone goes to heaven no matter what, end of quote, and he stopped speaking of the cross because salvation was automatic. And he became the next Billy Graham evangelist for universalism. I puzzled long and hard about how to connect my friend's deep insecurities with his embroidered boasts of accomplishments and his rejection of Orthodox Christian theology. And then two months ago, I read a young author's self-analysis of his own writing, and the puzzle pieces began to form a picture. The aspiring author said his own writing had deteriorated badly, but he couldn't admit its defects because he desperately needed his writing to be good, so he lied to himself. Then, in a brilliant analysis, my words, he came to the realization that, quote, the quality of my writing had become the measure of my life, end of quote. Salvation from what? Scripture claims that after the fall, all of life collapsed into moral, physical, and spiritual decay. Brotherly love mutated into Abel's assassination. Spring showers became hurricanes. And humanity's connection with God was amputated. Every corner of creation began to crumble. The answer to the fall, which is our lives east of Eden, is salvation. But we think of salvation as a stairway to heaven, while Scripture says we need deliverance from all of the fall's effects. The Psalms cry out for rescue from marauding enemies, plagues, and depression. But the Psalms also warn that the weapons of this world cannot save us from the effects in this world. The king is not saved by his great army. A warrior is not delivered by his great strength. The war horse is a vain hope for salvation. And by its great might, it cannot save. Psalm 33, 6 and 7. Every human heart is desperately trying to achieve salvation from whatever causes them the most suffering. Christians do not turn to Buddhas and Baals for salvation to a heavenly life, but we do turn to pop psychology for redemption in this earthly life. My co-worker sought emotional deliverance through the exaggeration of his contributions. And the author's brilliant line captured that sense perfectly when the author reflected, the quality of my writing had become the measure of my life. That is, his salvation was found in the bravado of fictitious self-worth. Salvation to what? My friend quit evangelizing because he equated salvation with eternal life. But God is interested in more than merely an unending succession of minutes and hours. True redemption is a depth of life, not merely an extension. That's why Jesus says this is eternal life, to know you. 
My father was a pastor who repeatedly claimed that his life's call was to introduce Christians to Christ. He said too many believers know about God, maybe even know theology about God, but don't know God. Their lives are not enriched with the life-delighting joy of a knowledge of the Savior. Without that rich knowledge of Him, we look to the world's, quote, great armies and war horses, end quote, for the redemption of our insecurities, anxieties, traumas, and egos. We are splashing in mud puddles while God invites us to sail and surf the sea, this side of heaven. That's why Isaac Watts wrote, The hill of Zion yields a thousand sacred sweets before, before we reach the heavenly fields or walk the golden streets. Let's torpedo the desperate attempts to achieve self-salvation from our insecurities. And let's taste those sacred heavenly sweets today. I've been thinking about the the breadth of Christian truths. And I think that we as believers have a tendency to think narrowly, to define, to refine, to uh, very clearly and narrowly articulate. But I think that's a mistake. I, I once heard a preacher, I was, you know, I was at a guest somewhere, and I heard a preacher stand up and he began his sermon by saying, okay, we're done with the worship time and now we're going to do the teaching. <laughs> but isn't that sad? I mean, I adopting God's truth in my mind, you know, coming slowly to absorb his truth and reject my own opinions is really an act of worship. It is worship to submit to God's word and to hear it and to say, I'm thinking wrongly about this. My view of the world is wrong. I don't have enough faith. That is worship. I think we tend to limit worship to the 15 minutes of singing or, you know, before the sermon, or we limit worship to, I don't know, the Christmas Eve service or Sunday morning or listening to the radio. Someone once said, worship is what you think about as you wait for the bus, meaning our entire lives are about worship. Everything we're doing, we're worshiping as as we're thinking about things, as we're dreaming about what we're going to get for Christmas. I mean, it is a kind of worship where we're pouring ourselves out into something. And so when I heard the preacher just say, we're going to stop the worship and now we're going to go to the teaching, I just felt like that was a misunderstanding of the teaching or the idea of scripture itself. Jesus says, you search the scripture because you think in them you will find life but they are about me. I think depending on our personality, some of us go to scripture for the specific do's and don'ts, you know, the morals. Some of us go, just go for the inspiration, you know, not of those who love God, everything will work out for the good. Well, I'm very inspired by that. Or some of us are more theologically oriented. We want the theological nuances. But Jesus says, you search the scriptures because you think in them you will find life. This is in John 6. I don't know, verse 30 or 35, but they are about me. Jesus says scripture's point is to reveal God so that we know God. And that's why we have life. If we want to find life, it's not just the morals or the inspiration or even getting all the theological nuances right. It's it's in some ways we read scripture to know and meet God or even the fatherhood of God. I know a lot of guys some women, but more guys for some reason, 
who like to call the father daddy, and I understand that. They want to express the intimacy, like that little picture of JFK Jr., John F. Kennedy Jr., sitting under the desk of his father, the president. And he's like, JFK is like three or four years old, and he's just playing at the feet of his president father, this, you know, maybe the most powerful man in the world, one of the most powerful men in the world. And we want to say, yeah, that's us, we're daddy. But because he is a, God is a, our father, our dad is a protector, caregiver, nurturer, nurturer, but he also disciplines us and corrects us. Um, you know, in Hebrew somewhere, it talks about the discipline of God and the word is paideia, which is where we get pediatrician, but it's a kind of correction that has teeth in it. You know, God is just not this Santa Claus or Casper the friendly ghost. He's not always a daddy. He's sometimes a father. So he's a protector and caregiver. He's also a discipliner and a corrector, but he's also a trainer. In Psalm 144, David says, you trained my hands for war and my fingers for battle. David is saying, I didn't go to West Point. You know, I didn't go to King Saul's West Point. I was just out in the fields that you arranged somehow sovereignly for me to be the kid, the youngest. And, and because you trained me there to fight bears and mountain lions and wolves, I was able to fight Goliath and finally become the king of Israel. And David is saying, as a father, you trained me. So I'm thinking broadly about theological truths, like worship is more than singing. Scripture is more than just morals or inspiration. And the fatherhood of God is more than just the daddiness. It, it's, it's the personal, it's a personal both corrector and also the personal trainer. But in this article, I was thinking about salvation. You know, I titled the article, When Salvation Isn't Enough. And what I'm saying is our idea of salvation, I think we think too narrowly. I think we think too much of going to heaven. It's, it's, it's the get out of jail card. It's the highway to heaven. It's the stairway to heaven. But God says he has a life, a saved life for us today. Salvation is in many, many, many more areas. My anxiety, God wants to save me from. My bullying, where I might bully other people, God wants to save me and them from. You know, uh, the way I think wrong, God wants to save us from. You know, if you think about the story of Jonah, and we think when God saved Jonah, it was when God saved him from the whale. But actually, God saved Jonah when he arranged the storm. Because Jonah had a misconception of who God was. And God saved Jonah by arranging a storm. Then he saved God by arranging a whale. Then the entire end of Jonah, which is chapter 4, God has arranged a plant to grow up. Then God saves Jonah by letting the plant die so that God can say to Jonah, I know your heart breaks for that plant, but how much more will my heart break for a hundred thousand people, not to mention all the animals? God is saying, God is saving Jonah from his bigotry. God is God is saving Jonah from his own sin. And that's what God is doing with us. He's saving us in ways we never imagined our salvation should be. Joni Erickson would say, God saved Joni Erickson, Tada, she knows she's the quadriplegic who had an accident when she was a teenager, when she dove and broke her neck. She would say, God has saved her through more than just physical healing. 
God has saved her by giving her a heart that worships and loves him in the midst of problems, not just worshiping God for an end to the problems. She She's really worshiping God. It's a way God has saved her outside of physical healing. I think we limit God's salvation too often. We limit it probably mostly to heaven. Sometimes we limit it to just getting me out of this bad job, get me out of this um, bad marriage for some people are saying, get me out of this financial crisis. And God almost always says the real salvation we need is bigger than our bad job. It's bigger than our difficult marriage. It's bigger than our financial crisis. And I don't know what it is that God's saving you with today. God can snap his fingers to save us in those ways, but he's usually doing something different. We want a change of scenery. And God is really working to save us through a deep change of heart. I really do love the closing line of that song. It's a song I sang as a kid. We're marching to Zion. We're marching to Zion. Beautiful, beautiful Zion. But that that verse that says, The hill of Zion yields a thousand sacred sweets before we reach the heavenly fields or walk the golden streets. I want us all to taste those sacred sweets God has for us. And they're usually going to be more than just getting me to escape from my problem. I think God is saying, I can make, he can make us richer, deeper, purer, holier, mightier people in the middle of these problems. And there's a sacredness to this sweetness that God has for us. I really believe this is, I really believe this is God for us. His salvation for us is a thousand sacred sweets now. And of course, much more in heaven to the mansion he's building for us. I have to say my favorite comment goes to my 95 and a half year old mother who said this was the best article I've ever written. Now, mind you, she says that about once a month. So, but I think she meant it in a certain sense because, you know, she's 95 and a half. She's slowly giving up things. Last summer when she was 94, she gave up her car, which was very hard for her. But her license plate on her car for, gosh, 20 years, maybe more, is one core 15. One COR 15, which is 1 Corinthians 15. It's the entire chapter about resurrection. And my mother's comment is we don't actually talk about resurrection enough. Now, here in my article, I'm saying we talk about it too much, but I think she's right. We don't realize the future goodness that God has for us. And she's looking forward to it. She wants more of those sacred sweets now. That is eternal life to know him. God bless you, everybody. I'll see you next week. Thanks for listening. Please join us by following this podcast or liking it. And visit our website, beliefsoftheheart.com, for more articles, books, videos, podcasts, and courses, all designed to foster intimate theology, deepening a real relationship with the real God who is there. See you next week.